Alrighty. We should be live. We should be live, folks. Welcome to episode 11 of the Archives podcast. It is your boy, Sotico, and we are back on the block today. Riding solo here tonight. And we are ready to rumble. Episode 11. Let's do this. So in today's episode, we are going to be talking about a plethora of topics. Firstly, we're going to be getting into the Andor debate. The way that people are discussing Andor, the way that people are talking about Andor, and my take on whether or not Andor is quote-unquote real Star Wars. Then we're going to be doing a live fan fiction for Balin Skull, which I'm very excited for. And then we're going to be answering all of your galactic dispatches from the past handful of weeks, handful of months that we haven't answered or haven't gotten to. So, with all that being said, welcome to the Archives Podcast. I am your host, Sotiko, and let's do this. Let's get right into this, and let's have a good time with it. So... About two or three days ago, my boy Star Wars Theory posted a tweet, and I'm going to read the exact tweet, you know, verbatim, word for word, just so we aren't missing out on anything that's being said. So, the tweet is, and I quote, Andor is not a Star Wars. Sorry. Andor is not Star Wars. It's a world-building show. It doesn't compete with actual Star Wars, Jedi, Sith, The Force, etc. It's a good sci-fi show. Nothing more. And he also posted something that I do agree with. Imagine if he had zero following. No one would care what he thought. Cloud chasers. And I totally agree. Now, back to his statement, Andor is not Star Wars. It's a world-building show. I agree with the second part. It is a world-building show. I do think that Andor is real Star Wars, but this is why. In my eyes, the story of the Star Wars saga... 1 through 6 is complete, right? The the main story is chiseled, it's in stone. Now, with that, I do appreciate world building. I do appreciate what everyone else is doing. For that reason, I think Andor is a great example of what Star Wars is kind of not all about because I think Star Wars truly is all about 
Jedi, Sith, the Force, etc. That I agree with. But the Everyman, I think they have so many stories to tell about the Everyman that goes to supply reasoning and supply basis for how we get from one point to another. And the thing that Andor did that I absolutely adored was Andor was able to captivatingly tell the story of about 12 characters and explain to us what one side of the Empire thinks versus one side of the Empire. You've got the Rebellion, Early Doors Rebellion, and you have the Empire. And it tells a story about just how cocky, how brazen, how unorganized the Empire is and how much infighting is going on with the Empire. And it shows just how resilient, creative, and lucky the Rebellion gets. And I appreciate world building in that sense. I appreciate the way that Lucasfilm was able to tell the story of how the rebellion was kind of getting started. You had nests, you had sects of rebels that they couldn't all work together, but it was kind of like they were all an individual finger on a hand for the greater good. And in the show, you see just how one finger talks to another finger when you had Luthen talking to Saw Gerrera. And you saw how both of them talked about another finger with Krieger. And you just understood, you got to see how important every single move that the Rebellion made. And you got to see the ins and outs of behind the scenes of the Empire not just the Emperor, not just Vader, not just Tarkin, General Veers, Admiral Piet, the Navy. You get to see boots on the ground, what's going on. And I do agree it is a world-building show. I think a world-building show sometimes is necessary to help then broaden the story of episodes 4, 5, and 6 of Rogue One. I think Andor did a great job at painting the picture of what the Empire is all about, what the Rebellion is all about, and for me, it only adds to the viewing experience, not detracting from the viewing experience. That's what I look for in these side, I call them side quest shows, in Andor, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, in Ahsoka. Is it adding to the overall story or is it detracting from it? A lot of stuff in Obi-Wan detracted from the story, I feel like. A lot of stuff in Ahsoka added to the story, I feel like. And it remained consistent with the story. Whereas in Obi-Wan, you have things that are counterproductive. You have things that just don't necessarily assist the story in any which way. And the thing that I loved about Andor, all of it... All of it was going to aiding 
and abetting the story that was being told in episodes four, five, and six. And for my money, when I think of Star Wars, I do think of Empire versus Rebels. I don't immediately just think about the Republic. I think about Empire versus Rebels, and mainly I think about the Empire. And the amount of context, the amount of world building that was put into place to tell the story of the Empire, I feel like was a tremendous job. Therefore, in my opinion, Andor is real Star Wars because what it is doing is setting the table for what is to come and it is aiding in what we are going to see in the future editions of Star Wars. Future in the timeline sense. So, while I disagree with Star Wars theory on his statement that Andor is not Star Wars, I do agree that it it is a world-building show. It is a great sci-fi show, but in my opinion, it is very much real Star Wars. But I get it. You know, I get it. I get where he's coming from. Because to a lot of people, Star Wars is lightsabers. It is Jedi. It is Sith. For the longest time, before the Andor show, I really didn't care for Rogue One. I really didn't care for Rogue One. Because it lacked all of that. But then once I started to read books, started to watch these series... It kind of changed my perception, it changed my feeling, it changed my outlook on these kinds of shows. And Rogue One for me, pound for pound, is one of the better Star Wars movies um, that we've gotten. And that's coming from a guy who thinks there's not a bad Star Wars movie, right? I think that there's a concurrently good plot... That was followed 4 through 6, 1 to 3, 7, 8, 9 were very disjointed. Uh, I, I find good in those movies and I understand where the, the negativity comes from. I don't think that there's a bad Star Wars movie though. And for my money, Andor was the best television show that we got for Star Wars. Better than Mandalorian in my estimations. Better than Mandalorian Season 2 in my opinion. Better than Ahsoka. Granted, I know that this was only one season for Ahsoka. It was still killer. I loved it. I I loved it. I know it was part one of a trilogy. I know that Andor was season one of what's going to be another season. My hope for Andor is that this wasn't accidentally good. (laughs) But it wasn't. Because it was written, executed, perfectly. I think if you write ten seasons of Andor for a season one, if you have ten writers writing a season one for Andor, this is the best season that you get. If you simulate it ten times, this is the best season And I hope that it wasn't accidentally good. You don't see a lot of people coming out of the woodworks with, you know, fan crafting 
oh, what should have been differently in Andor? What should have gone differently in Andor? I think the timeline, the story, the pace, it was all great. I think Andor was literally a perfect TV show because it all culminated to a finale where every main character that you saw on the screen happened to be in the same place at the same time for the for a different reason in their own world and you understood why they were there you cared why they were there you wanted to see what was going to happen and it was just a phenomenal exposition it was a phenomenal world building show and it showed just how times were in the era of the empire for the everyman therefore i think that andor was 100% real star wars moving on to ahsoka we're going to talk a little bit about ahsoka and what i like loved about it what i disliked about it in universe i'm not a critic i want to preface that i am not a critic i don't claim to be a critic i don't want to be a critic i'm a fan things that i loved about ahsoka were the combat i think the samurai-esque kurosawa-esque fighting that went on in ahsoka through the likes of ray stevenson through the likes of ahsoka versus balan skull and sabine ran versus shin hati and Ahsoka versus Maruk. I think not only that, not only that kind of combat, but verbal combat, the lines and the scenes that we got to see between Hera and the corrupt senator that you know is empire friendly. I think that kind of combat as well, where she's kind of standing her ground while he's standing his ground, and then he gets outwardly corrected by C-3PO and made to look like a, a numpty. I loved that about Ahsoka. I felt like Ahsoka was a, another thing that was so well written. And I know we talked about this with Van Seal and he didn't like some of the aspects of the characters post post you know, in the midst of their character change and in the midst of emotional change, he didn't like parts of how people acted or how they portrayed their dialogue. For me, I can kind of empathize with people, especially in media, especially in shows and movies and books. And I can kind of get in their mind and I can kind of feel why they felt the way they did, why they did the things they did at the moment. And for me, it 100% makes sense. And I'll give an example. When Sabine rocked up to Ezra, she didn't exactly say what happened, how she got there, because I think she felt very guilty about it. And I think she was managing that guilt. And I think she was going through that guilt. And I think that it took her a while to process that guilt. And maybe she just felt like it wasn't the right time to tell Ezra. Right? Maybe it wasn't the right time. Because 
how tricky would that conversation be like Ahsoka died I did what I had to do to get here um and that's about all I know it's about all I know it's a it's a very tricky conversation to have because you don't know how your love interest is going to perceive that and you always want to protect the person that you love you know that Sabine and Ezra are eventually going to figure it out so you really just need to be patient with it and I know Star Wars fans are not the most patient people and you saw that with Andor you saw that with Andor saying that the show was slow this that the other I think that is the Achilles heel of shows being released weekly you know when you get the quote unquote filler episode you're not gonna be able to comprehend things you're not gonna be able to put pieces together when you're just waiting for something major to happen maybe it's not that point in time in the show but when you watch it all as a season back to back to back to back to back to back to back or even just like three episodes a piece four episodes a piece two episodes a piece you start to get it like when you watch star wars you're watching two and a half hours consecutively piece to piece to piece to piece if star wars episode four came out and the first 30 minutes all you saw was luke and ben kenobi out on a speeder talking in his hut talking with his uncle about power converters and droids and stuff people are going to call that filler you know but then if you get an episode of the trench run then it's different right then it's different i think with these shows yeah they're tv but they're not meant to be watched one after another and i think star wars and lucasfilm need to realize that and they need to start releasing maybe two or three episodes at a time i think two episodes at a time is a good pace if you're going to release things weekly i would i'd get away from the wednesday drops and i would do three episodes every friday you do it for a month 12 episode seasons you know and just makes makes things make a little bit more sense these six episode shows seven episode shows eight episode shows i think that there could be a lot more storytelling that goes into them you don't need to adjust lengths i think 12 episodes at 45 minutes to an hour an episode is perfect and that's a solid season i think that's a solid season with something like ahsoka with something like andor the bad batch these are all world building shows and with world building you need time to let the show marinate you need time to let the world process to the audience and you also need time for these characters to grow you can't just rush character change and I think that kind of happened in Ahsoka 
you didn't get to see all the all the training and the patience and everything that happened and this kind of mirrors ray if you paid attention you saw it if you didn't pay attention you hear people say ray got all these powers from nowhere if you paid attention you saw it but if you didn't pay attention then you don't know that the force was out of balance ray was the most powerful force user available she had the most potential the force accelerated her abilities the force accelerated her force atonement and through that she was able to learn and grow in the force rapidly you saw that ray had the sacred jedi texts you saw that ray was reading the sacred jedi text she she was reading stuff luke didn't even read of course she would have powers that luke didn't have right so it's uh, it's a very different. It's very different when you give these characters time to grow on the screen versus off the screen. With a character like Anakin, you don't really get to see him come into himself until you get a show like The Clone Wars and you see like, damn, this this guy's going X Games mode because all you see is what you get in attack of the clones and then fast forward to revenge of the sith he's now going god mode but what i found to be truly inspiring about this show was that it was able to portray that anybody and everybody can use the force if you practice hard enough and if you train hard enough because that is a og george lucas signed off quote and a lot of people had a, had a problem with it and the thing that i never understood was why they had a problem with it and why people didn't look into it before making a judgment and i know that's a popular thing to make judgment before doing research um but the thing that i found to be inspiring about this show was that it just showed like hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard and that's what happened with sabine like she was training and practicing her ass off to try and get it together for her master and you get to see a character like ezra who was without his lightsaber for 10 years so of course he had to rely on solely the force why would then ezra want his lightsaber if he's been more if he spent more time without it than with it and he's more in tune with himself without it than with it of course, then he goes and builds one because he's Ezra Bridger. He needs a lightsaber. But at the time, if he's more comfortable with the Force, why wouldn't he then want Sabine to also have a weapon that is going to aid them in a, what, 3v35 battle? You know what I'm saying? So I think people just got nitpicky with the, the sh- with the show, with the series, and... I can't wait for season two because I think it's only going to be going above and beyond what we're going to get for the next foreseeable future with Star Wars. I know we have Bad Batch season three is done. I know Acolyte is done. I know Skeleton Crew is coming. 
I'm not too in tune with Skeleton Crew, nor do I really care about Skeleton Crew, but it's Star Wars nonetheless, and it's just like the Star Wars Bounty Hunter game that's coming out. I will play that. I think it's Star Wars Outlaw, actually. Star Wars Outlaws. Star Wars Outlaw. I will play it just because it's uh, it's Star Wars. It's world building, and I am a nerd for world building. So I'm hyped. I'm excited. And truthfully, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm very excited for it. Speaking more about Ahsoka, we're going to be talking about a fan fiction real quick and something that I'm working on. I'm only going to go into it a little bit because it's a, it's going to be its own video down the line, but I'm working on a fan fiction for Balin's Skull, what happened as Order 66 came out, and basically what I've got so far, the fan fiction is called The Lost Jedi, not The Last Jedi, but The Lost Jedi. And Balin Skull is in a remote corner of the galaxy with a plethora of other Jedi. But in this sense, he is lost. He is lost. All of these masters and apprentices are out with some clones. And Balin is off ahead of the pack seeing what's up with it because he's that guy right but he's lost he's lost his way and order 66 comes into play the clones attack the jedi they slaughter the jedi balin senses this and essentially this is what balin's insecurities anxieties have always been like why do we why do we not have a plan in place if things go to shit? Things have gone to shit. Balin has a plan for this. So he gains his bearings, he finds a village, and he gets to a ship, he stows aboard a ship. The ship takes him around where he's headed. He ultimately gets to where he needs to go. He has a little outpost similar to the one that the Ursos have in Rogue One, and here he's got everything that he needs, realistically, credits, clothes, um, provisions, everything that he needs to hide away and to figure out what he's got to do. Along the lines, he meets a woman. This woman bears his child, and he has a daughter, and he calls her Shin. And to protect her, to protect her, he gives Shin, her mother's last name, of Hattie. So, as this happens, you know, the Empire's tracking down Jedi. The mother passes away. So now Balin is left to raise his daughter all by himself. And early on, she's atoned with the Force. The issue with Balin is does he want to teach his daughter the ways of the Jedi? Does he want to potentially put his daughter at risk for, you know, being fatally tracked down, hunted down, and taken apart? Well, he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to do that. So he teaches his daughter 
the way of the force not through the jedi though he teaches kind of the way that he wanted things to be selfishly and he did things the jedi way from a certain point of view but he taught his daughter shin the ways of the force how he believed that the jedi could have been more equipped for things to go bad and things to go south um where connection wasn't terrible attachment wasn't terrible um any weakness that he perceived from the jedi he was able to counter that with his teachings of his daughter and as he taught these things to his daughter they only strengthened in his own beliefs for him so balin teaches his daughter they get into mercenary work as you know provisions run out money runs out and he ends up working tons of jobs smugglers runners this that the others and he ends up working with morgan elsbeth you know and he gets tasked with tracking down jedi tracking down a jedi ahsoka tano and as this happens we run straight to the ahsoka show so this is the fan fiction i'm working on and i'm very excited because all of that was from scratch all of that was on a whim so i'm hyped to work on that try and get some pictures um i, I won't be able to do like animations or anything but I'll definitely try and do some like concept art myself and figure things out from there. Um, but we are at the halfway point in the podcast. And at this point, we are going to start our galactic dispatches. Shout out to everyone that sent in a question. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Star Wars TAP. And here we go. We're going to answer as many questions as we can get to. This one is from Nolan. And I had to make this the first question because it's about my boy. If Anakin Skywalker had never become Darth Vader, how would that have impacted the balance of the Force and the fate of the galaxy? Well, at this rate, and we're even going to do a little fan fiction and theory in this one. If Anakin doesn't become... Darth Vader. That would imply that Mace Windu kills Sheev Palpatine, Lord Sidious, right? That's what this implies. That's what this narrows down to. Death Star pointed at your front door. That's where we're at. So if Anakin doesn't become Darth Vader... The Force has to basically remain where it's at because it's in proper balance. The Force is naturally attuned to the light side. Balance does not mean equal good, equal bad. That is literal balance. That's not perceived balance. Balance in Star Wars, balance with the Force, 
is harmony. It is peace. It is everything that the Jedi stand for, theoretically. Not everything that they actually exude. Because at a certain point of view, at a certain point in time, the Jedi start to become sort of power-hungry. And you see this in Episode 3. You see this in the Clone Wars. As Anakin Skywalker, I think he does live up to his The Chosen One mantra. I think he does grow and propel himself in the Force. And I think he does become the next Grand Master Jedi. Because in Legends, and I can go whip out my book for this too, And in the Jedi's journal that was passed from Dooku's master to Dooku to Qui-Gon, all like from Yoda to Obi-Wan to Anakin to Ahsoka to Luke. The Chosen One prophecy stated that the Chosen One basically had a higher authority in the Jedi Order than the Grand Master of the High Council. It was my opinion that either Mace Windu stole the journal and erased it, that Obi-Wan marked it out to protect Anakin, or that Anakin marked it out as a young kid because of the bullying and just the the overall environment that was at the Jedi Temple for Anakin when he was growing up. So with that, I think that, you know, the fate of the galaxy, the Republic... I don't know if the Republic lasts, personally. I don't know if the Republic lasts. I think the Republic was very divided. I think the Separatists, at a certain point, were gaining more support and more traction than the Republic were. Um, Just in terms of uh, an evening, I don't know if they start to slow down and even out. But I think at a certain point, you're looking at close to a 50-50 split with separatists and republic support and I think the civil war would probably because at this point Grievous is dead Dooku is dead Trench is dead you still have I guess Viceroy Gunray um, Wat Tambor, Poggle the Lesser, everyone working on the Death Star, which was meant to be for the Republic. Um, <laughs> funny enough. One of them would probably be voted into power for the CIS, and I guess the fate, the fate of the galaxy, they, either the Separatists call for a ceasefire and surrender, and appeal to rejoin the Republic, or the war continues until there's no one left, no money left. So that's the fate of the galaxy if Anakin never turns into Darth Vader. Also, 
Padme has her children. She probably lives. And... Maybe Anakin leaves the Jedi. Maybe he leaves the Jedi. That's very possible. I'll have to do a fan fiction for that. I will write that down. That's uh That is a shout. That is a shout. Um yeah, it's a, it's pretty tricky in it. It's pretty tricky in it. Anakin leaving the Jedi fan fiction. Post. If he doesn't become Darth Vader. Boom. And then what? I do want to do a video on lightsaber colors. Okay, so perfect. Very good question uh, from Nolan. So shout out to Nolan. Um, let's see what else that we've got here. Theo, shout out to Theo. He asks, how do Star Wars films and EU materials explore themes of redemption, forgiveness, and second chances? With this one, Revan comes to mind. As Revan was essentially redeemed. Vader comes to mind as he was redeemed. Um, Callus, Agent Callus, as he ended up being a spy. Uh, Hux was a spy. Ben Solo was redeemed, forgiven by Han, given a second chance by Rey. I need to watch the sequels again, man. I need to watch them again. Issue is I keep falling asleep because I'm just so tired. Um, But they get explored very often. And I think those themes are good themes to tell because I think everyone does deserve a second chance. I think we can forgive people more often than not. And everyone has the opportunity to be redeemed. From Samuel, shout out to Sam, good buddy of mine. What are the ethical implications of the Jedi Council's decisions and actions, particularly regarding the stance on attachment and emotions? I understand where they're coming from because they just want their Jedi to be focused. And with attachment, with emotion, with love, with family... I get what they think. I just don't subscribe to it. Because with attachment comes fear of loss, right? And with fear of loss, 
that equals fear with fear it leads to anger anger leads to hate hate leads to suffering fear is the pathway to the dark side so i get it but that's a very black and white blanket statement because you could be happy you can have a healthy relationship with somebody i'm in a very happy and healthy relationship with my missus um is there an aspect of fear No, because I think we're just happy and healthy and things are good and we know what we want to do. We know what we want to be and just being patient, trying to get there. With other things, though, like jobs, uh, money, possessions, is there a fear of loss, fear of abandonment? Like, yeah, you can have all of that with anything and anybody can experience these things, even if. Obi-Wan feared loss more than anybody. And that's a given in his many books about him. He feared loss because it just kept happening to him. He lost his family. Um, he lost Qui-Gon. He lost his missus. You know, he, he lost Maul. He wanted to save Maul. He wanted him and Maul to be on the same side. He lost them. Uh, he lost Anakin permanently. So it was tricky. Obi-Wan feared loss more than anybody, yet he is looked upon as the most balanced Jedi that there is. Right? So, I suppose that there just comes a time where you just have to look in the mirror and understand that if you want to take these chances, sound. You're a human being. If not... I get it. And I think that's where Yoda comes from when he institutes these um, rulings as a Jedi is that he doesn't want to take those chances. Ultimately, it led to every every Jedi was having sex. Every Jedi was having an affair. This, that, the other. They were just doing it under the, the guise of, you know, they were going to hide it. Anakin was only human, you know, he got seduced by one of the baddest women in the planet and He was gonna be a father Anakin was gonna be a father You know like of course he was gonna try and protect his kids I think a lot of people forget that Anakin wasn't just like doing what he did for Padme. He was doing it for his kids. He was going to be a... He was literally going to be a father. And I think people honestly forget that. Or they just don't comprehend it. He had two kids on the way. He knew at least he had one kid on the way. Right? And he had to ensure security for his kid. And for his missus, who was going to die. He saw it in his, in his dream and Anakin for... His entire life could see the future. So he was more confident than not that it was going to happen. And no one was listening to him nor taking it serious. So I get why he was struggling with it, man. I really do. Um, but I think at a certain point, it led to the Jedi's downfall. You know, they should have been more lenient with things. And I think Anakin's own... 
opinion and definition that Jedi are encouraged to love. I think someone should listen to him, you know, and institute that. Really good question, man. This one's from Henry. Shout out to Henry from the Discord. How do various alien species in Star Wars reflect real world cultural diversity? You can tell, you can tell Henry's in college right now. And issues of inclusion. Um, for me, I had I had a debate in a Discord or maybe on Reddit somewhere that racism really isn't in Star Wars. You know, there's aliens, there's humans, there's different races, different species, but everyone pretty much coexists. And someone brought up an example of a old crazy guy in Knights of the Old Republic who was anti-alien, pro-human. But it's like, you don't see any of that in actual media. You know, you look to a a person, you look to a sentient being, and that's just another person. There's... I personally hate the idea of racism. And not just in the sense of, like, F racism, right? Because it's never... I've never been able to understand how one human could hate another human based on the color of their skin or where they're from. I could never understand that. Because it doesn't make sense. Because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. I've never understood the weird territorial mindset of people that came before us. And why it's even an idea. It's like... Because the word racism in it of itself means that one race is better than another or you have feelings that one race is greater than or less than another we're all the same race we're all humans so I I think someone hating someone based on where they're from what they look like is the dumbest thing in the world and you literally have to be like the worst kind of person to have that kind of hatred I think if you hate anybody um, for things that they can't control you're kind of a sicko kind of a weird person but if you're if you're racist especially in like 2023 bro you gotta get you gotta sort yourself out Um, as far as Star Wars goes I love that aliens and humans coexist you see it with the Rebel Alliance you see it with the Galactic Republic with like the Senate. You see it a little bit in the Empire, a little bit, but the Empire is obviously pro human. <laughs> um, but very good question. Cameron asks What are the psychological and emotional consequences of being a clone trooper? How do they grapple with their identity and autonomy? Very good question. Um, and I'm probably going to hold off on answering this one because my theory is that I want to ask my buddies that were in the military and ask them how they feel about that exact question, just with a little bit of rewording, because 
I can only say outside looking in. I've never been in the military. I've never fought for anything in my life. Um, but yeah, I'm going to hold off. That's a great question. I'm just, I can't answer it myself because I have no experience. A very good question. And I don't want to dodge it. I will write it down. And I'll ask my, I'll ask my friend, um, about it as soon as I'm done. Because that's a sick question. Very sick question. Um, what do we got? We've got from James, also from the Discord. Shout out to James. How do various lightsaber forms reflect the personalities and philosophies of the Jedi who practice them? Very sick question. A lot of people don't really understand that there are different forms of lightsaber combat. And take the the blade out of my lightsaber to show some of these. One to just talk about a specific type of saber. You've got a curved saber, right? So the bottom curves out. And this is to be more of a initiator, right? And it shows that you believe that you have superiority over your opponent, over your adversaries, over your colleagues. Um, you see this with Dooku, you see it with Darth Bane. Asajj Ventress, you even see it with Ahsoka. Ahsoka is literally S-tier in combat. In, in her prime, Ahsoka literally took on Darth Vader, Maul, Inquisitors. When she was a literal child, she took on Maul, Grievous, Ventress. The 501st Legion survived the 501st Legion as a child. So, Ahsoka is S-tier. Um, there's defensive forms, which you see in the eyes of Kayati Mundai in Obi-Wan Kenobi. And in defensive forms, you are simply taking what the opponent gives to you and just being patient. And this shows patient people. People that aren't really rushing things because they know that as soon as their opponent slips up, they can take advantage and win the fight. Then you have people like Anakin, uh, Asajj Ventress. Um, Luke, from a certain point of view. Revan, who are very attack-minded. You know, they have... Their front foot forward. There was a football movie called Invincible, and it was about knuckles. When linemen had their hand in the dirt, were their knuckles were they were they white or were they pink? If they're pink, you know they're sitting back. If they're white, you know they're coming for you. Anakin's a white knuckle guy because he is going to give every ounce of his body to attack. And try and take life rather than defend it. 
the cool thing is it kind of does mirror their personality. So you can kind of get the sense of what kind of person a person is based on the form of lightsaber combat that they practice. You see that with Kylo Ren, who's all over the place, who is running around, slashing this, that, the other. He doesn't know who he is, you know? So fantastic question from James right there. Uh, This one's from Ryan on Twitter. How does the Star Wars universe depict the consequences of generational trauma in the Skywalker family? Pretty solid. Um, With this, something that instantly comes to mind is that Anakin doesn't have a father. Luke didn't have his father. Rey didn't have her father for a good chunk of her life. And you kind of, you can see how that construes. And the thing that I think is the most messed up, Leia gets adopted by the Organas. They give her her last, their last name. And that's her father. That's her mother, right? Luke gets adopted as a literal one-day-old baby to Luke, uh, not Luke, Owen and Baru. They are adamant. We are your aunt and uncle. We are not your parents. We're not your adopted parents. You are our nephew. And you are not getting the large name. You are getting Skywalker, bucko. So I think that was also funny. But... As far as generational trauma, I think the lack of a father figure for these characters definitely came into play because at the end of the day, they were all searching for it. Anakin was looking for it with Qui-Gon. Then he was looking for it in Obi-Wan. Luke was looking for it in Obi-Wan. Rey was looking for it in Han Solo. So... You get the sense, you get the sense that all these characters wanted to have fathers. Let's see. William asks, how do the Star Wars films explore the concept of hope as a driving force for change and the resistance? Hope is pretty much everything for the Rebellion because you understand early on that they don't have the advantage of men. They don't have the advantage of weapons. They don't have the advantage of skill. They don't have the advantage of money, power, but they have hope and they don't give up and you see this with the trench run you see this in andor (laughs) you see this in episodes five and six how they have their heels and their backs against the wall and the rebellion the resistance they always they always tend to escape you know they always live to fight another day which i think matters i think really matters um This one's from John. How do Star Wars films tackle the complexities of the master-student relationships? I think they do a great job. Early on, the first instance that you see 
is Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And simply based on, like, posture, who's looking at who, you see Obi-Wan looking up to Qui-Gon, literally. Um, that tells the story of the Master and the Apprentice. Then you get Obi-Wan and Anakin. They're more, they're more equals than Obi-Wan was. And I think that maybe speaks to what Obi-Wan sought after with Qui-Gon. With Anakin and Ahsoka, he's direct. He's direct. There's no riddles. And I think that speaks to what he wanted from Obi-Wan. Ahsoka is more lenient, more patient than Anakin was with Sabine. And maybe that's what Ahsoka wanted. Um, So... With the masters and apprentices relationships, I see that they all teach their apprentice how maybe they wanted their master to teach them, which I think is amazing storytelling. And we've got... This one didn't have a name, but it was a good enough question. Um, and this was emailed. This was emailed. And this is... Could a truly neutral character exist in the Star Wars universe? Someone who remains entirely detached from both the light and the dark sides of the Force. How might they navigate this challenging path? Instantly you think of Balin Skull, right? But we just don't know what exactly he's up to yet. So I don't want to put Balin and pigeonhole him here. Could a truly neutral character exist? I think so. I think so. But at the end of the day, everyone has some... Like, no one... I actually don't think so. I don't think so. Because black and white... Everyone always has an agenda of a sort. Some people's agendas are for personal gain. Some people's agendas are literally just to try and accomplish something, try and create something. Um, Some people's agendas are try to steal something, try and take credit for something, try and destroy something. But when it comes down to it, I think you got to have an end goal in mind. Is that end goal creating or is it destroying? Is that end goal making or is it stealing? Earning or stealing? So no, I don't think anyone could be truly neutral simply because you gotta have something that you want bad enough that it makes you choose whether you're a good person or a bad person. I don't think anyone's ever just truly neutral. I think there's good people or bad people. You can't really be in between. You can't really be in between because at a certain point, the good will outweigh the bad, the bad will outweigh the good. And then we have our final question. And I just want to give a huge shout out to everyone that sent in questions. Everyone that's participated and shown love 
and support to the podcast. 11 episodes deep. Uh, shout out to all of you. If you want to send in any questions at Star Wars TAP on all platforms, feel free to send them in. Much love and support. And if you guys like the live format better than the recorded format, do let me know. Because I'm so down to do live and I'm so down to do recorded. But here we go. Final question. And this was sent in to us on Instagram. How do the Star Wars films explore the concept of sacrifice and its role in shaping the destinies of characters like Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Luke Skywalker? This one, I have a a lot of opinions on. I want to focus solely on Obi-Wan Kenobi, who watched his master die. Because it was the will of the Force. Obi-Wan Kenobi was on the Millennium Falcon trying to rescue Leia Organa, gets Luke Skywalker, goes to the Death Star, turns off the tractor beam as everyone else on board saves Leia, sees that Leia and Luke are trying to escape, and fights Darth Vader, fights Anakin. He then sacrifices himself to save Anakin's kids. He loved Anakin so much that he gave his life to ensure that his kids escaped safely. And that is what the Kenobi show did for me. You saw just how much Obi-Wan loved and appreciated Anakin based on how he treated and protected his kids. So I think that goes to show more than anything what sacrifice means. Sacrifice is something that you do when you love somebody. Sacrifice is what you're willing to do for someone that you love. And in this case, Obi-Wan Kenobi loved Anakin Skywalker so much that he gave his own life to save his kids. Uncle of the year to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Wonderful question. And shout out to everyone that did send in the question. That's going to do it for the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. It has been your boy Sotiko. We'll be live. Not live, but we will be back next Wednesday. I hope that you all appreciated and enjoyed episode 11 of the Archives podcast. Follow us everywhere at Star Wars TAP. Give this a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, and everything in between. Also check us out on YouTube if you're listening to this on audio at Sotico. And with all that being said, with peace, love, and serenity, may the Force be with you because I am out. Peace.